Hello and welcome to the June Internationals Round 4 Review brought to you by Driving Mall. Hi, I'm Paul, the guy behind Driving Mall, your best place for rugby uh, predictions and opinion. That's what we do here. Predictions and opinion, that's just pretty much it. Um, and joining me is uh, one of the team. It's Arsene, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you doing? Not so bad, not so bad. Um Good. Got a bit of a cold still, but uh, but definitely better than I was at the weekend. So uh, getting there, uh, and I've got my nice roaring fire. Because for those of you who aren't in New Zealand, um, we have some pretty cold weather. We've got this cold front coming up from the Antarctic. We've got Ant an Antarctic blast blowing through the country, um, and it's going to get cold. So um, tomorrow night, you might even see me in, in a few more layers, looking like Mr. Michelin Man um, doing the show for the House Rugby Chat. And tomorrow night, what we will do, we'll run through our winners and losers um, of the June internationals. That'll be our second question tomorrow night. So for tonight, we'll mainly look at uh, round four rather than uh, looking back at the whole um, the whole season. Um, Jack reckons it's uh, it's not too, not cold in Auckland. Yeah, but you Kiwis don't know how to build houses. You don't understand what really what what sort of temperature is. Uh, I'm afraid um, some of us know. Having lived on the equator, I know what cup. Well, I know what hot is, um, and this is cold. Um, so kicking us off, uh, what we'll do is oh, we'll run through the, the T1 games um, and we'll uh, mainly, and then we'll have a quick chat about the tier two ones afterwards. Um, Christian's with me. Yep, it's cold. Good good on you, Christian. You've you got, you got the right answer. Um, <laughs> so um, New Zealand, France, New Zealand won 49-14. So one-way traffic, absolute trancing, was it? Uh, yep. No. <laughs> You don't know anything. Oh, why do I have you on the show? Jeez. Oh, no. I'm back to being wrong again. <laughs> Sorry, for those of you who weren't around for the... See, what Ashwin forgets is that not all of our conversations are live to everybody. Uh, he doesn't really... He forgets that kind of... That things like pre-show chats aren't on air uh, and that show notes aren't displayed to everybody. He just thinks everyone has the same access he does. He doesn't realize the privileged situation he's in. Um, but yeah, part of the pre-show pre chat when we were just uh, getting ready for the show, Arsenal um, actually got something right. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> come on. Uh, the first half was definitely not one-way traffic. Uh, we, we, had, we had a real game in our hands the first half hour. No, absolutely. No, look, it, it wasn't one-way traffic. And uh, the office conversation actually was, as the fact is that they have actually been... The, the, the two games that um, ended up being big score lines for the All Blacks um, were close up to like about sort of 60 minutes, um, d definitely Eden Park, 60-odd minutes. I don't know what point it was actually that it started to run away with the All Blacks on, on Saturday. I didn't actually take note. But, um, yeah, look, it was close for a time. Um, a lot of discussion, obviously. <laughs> so, like, here, read my notes. There you go. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, a lot of discussion about certain incidents that happen in a match and that sort of thing. But uh, my, my view on that is, and we did, again, office discussion, is that you've got to build a thicker skin if you're going to let one decision ruin your game. Yeah, maybe so. But it, it, def so it, it was um, it was 14 all up until um, sort of the half hour mark. Mm. Um, I mean, Barrett, Scott Barrett is the only Barrett actually starting this game, which is a bit of a flip from the uh, from the previous game. We had all three starting. Um, he uh, kind of got a, got a bit of a poor pass early on, but after that, had a really good game um, and. Uh, it was a bit scrappy. Uh, New Zealand, uh, France did what they've been doing in a lot of these games, which is keeping ball in hand. They've not been kicking. They kept the same sort of game style. Uh, and yeah, it was, I say, 14 um, all. Uh, some great offloading by the by the French in particular, which was which was causing the All Blacks defence uh, some problems. Um, the scramble defence was still good, but it was <clears> the offloads were definitely were working. Um, yeah, look, um, there was the, the the big thing from the games. Uh, you know, when when France were in the game, uh, it, it, they the All Blacks just couldn't shut down their offload game. The offload game was uh, quite accurate, especially in that first half. Did fall off in the second half. Passes started to miss their targets, etc. But in the first half, in particular, it's just like every sort of offload or miracle ball that they tried to offload uh, hit their targets. Hit their targets, and the All Blacks, they you know generally can wrap the ball up um, in a tackle scenario, and they weren't able to do that, and that's what was causing the biggest amount of problems. I felt. Yeah, and it's been a long time since we've seen the out, the All Blacks um, out offloaded, especially with Sonny Bill Williams playing 
But um, yeah, the All Blacks eight offloads to the uh, French um, thirteen. So the uh, yeah, definitely uh, the, the French out. I say that that's, that's how the French uh, sort of managed to do this sort of thing. Um, managed to break down this defence because again, eighty five percent tackling by the uh, by the All Blacks. Good tackling. Had to make one hundred and forty two tackles, which is a fair old chunk. Uh, the the French down at seventy nine percent, but most of those missed were in the second half uh, mm. rather than the first half. And then we had our, our moment of controversy, which seems to be de rigueur for all of these games, and it had to go the All Blacks' way. And we have to all point our fingers and say bad ref, bad ref. Um, so, oh, and, and the fact that the um, you know um, the All Blacks are uh, IRB favourites. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's a conspiracy, I tell you. Yeah, absolutely. Let me take off my silver hat, um, and then <laughs> my tinfoil hat. Um, perhaps, perhaps I'll make one for tomorrow night's show. Uh, the, um, so the DMAC, uh, well, basically the referee got in the way and of the the French scrum half. Now, would the French scrum half have stopped DMAC? Probably not, but um, there was definitely the chance of it. If we go and read the, rule, the laws, though, of the the rugby laws. There's no law about the referee colliding with a non-ball-carrying player, but there is with ball-carrying players and with the ball. And so, technically, the referee probably got this right. In reality, common sense tells us that the try should have been disallowed and we should have gone back to the scrum because the referee... Or a penalty. No, or a penalty the... for the scrum half, scrum half leaving the scrum <clears throat> before the ball had exited. Oh, give me a break. Uh, the scrum <laughs> uh, the, and the next one you're going to talk about is, oh, but the, the, the scrum had wheeled more than 90 degrees. Yes, it probably <laughs> had, but we don't blow up every single one it does. Uh, we let scrum halves come away from the from, from the scrum all the time. So, no, that's th- those sort of things. You, you mean that every law isn't enforced uh, 100% of the time? <laughs> exactly. Those laws are not yeah. enforced 100% of the time. And so, yeah, there's, there, was no, there was no problem with either of those sort of things. Uh, but they have been um, discussion points on, uh, on 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 social media. And for those of you on the podcast, yeah, we've got the air quotes going there for the discussion, which just means um, sort of mad rants without listening to anyone else's point of view. Um, <laughs> Look, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, that play in general was quite interesting because um, if if the ref hadn't have been in the way, the try probably still would have been scored. Not not from DMAC running through, but the fact is that there was nobody on the inside that was covering Aaron Smith running an inside line off DMAC. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was the impact was as big as what everybody's trying to make out. Um, yeah. I, I, and, and the other thing is that I sort of think, you know, the reality is, is and we have we talk about this in Super Rugby quite constantly, is that there's, there's often key decisions that go the wrong way or against a certain team, the Blues, um, and um, you just have to grow a thicker skin and um, put it behind you, you know, flush the dunny, as our friend Mr. Hanson likes to say, and move on. The, isn't dunny an, an Australianism rather than a, a Kiwiism? There's lots. You're probably stronger over there, but you know you, we had the uh, the outside dunny over here back in the day. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, we are just the basically the the, the, the sixth state of Australia, anyway, over here. Um, <laughs> so, um, apparently, constitutionally, yes, still correct. Really? Mm-mm. It was written into their constitution, not ours. Oh, okay. but that's a digress. Are there, are, there, are there taxes <laughs> higher or lower than ours? Because I higher. higher? Yeah, no, we don't want it then. Bad, bad Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh dear. So, and then basically in the second half, uh, well, the the French came back after that try and really pressurised the All Blacks, but couldn't get that score before half time. And going in twenty one fourteen down would have been demoralising, especially the way it happened with another another refereeing decision going against them, the third game in a row. Uh, <clears throat> so I think that probably played played probably part of it. The now, after half time, France got into the All Blacks half again. Again, didn't come out, come away with points. And then the floodgates kind of really opened. DMAC went through a big gap um, between a couple of forwards. Uh, I mean, sure, one of the forwards came in uh, at a misread. Even if he hadn't, we had two we had two front rowers he was running between. Neither of them would have touched him. Um, and yeah, France has basically got some of there. Or, or, or the All Blacks spotted the. Uh, what do you call it? Anyway, misalignments or mis- mismatches. Yeah, yeah. mismatch. There we go. 
uh, and, and made the made the best of it. And it's, it's, oh, sorry. I mean, I was just going to say it might be an opportune time to talk DMAC then, wouldn't it? Oh, got him. Talk DMAC. Don't you think? Don't you think? I mean, I, I'm just sort of thinking. You know, obviously, this, his first moment in the game was throwing an intercept, um, but had a. I thought he had a very good game. Uh, obviously, two tries. Um, and some good touches around the field as well. I mean, you know, you, there were, after he had his uh, cameos from the first two tests, or actually more than a cameo in the second, there were concerns about is he really a number 10 and up to it and that. But no, I thought he actually had a very good game um, this weekend. Yeah, I think he had a good game as well. I think we'll still have people saying, oh, he's not a 10 for another season, at least. It's going to take a while, a while to sort this out. Um, and another comment in here that yeah, World Rugby definitely needs to something about the consistency and quality of referees. Uh, too much difference between North and Southern Hemisphere approach allowed, and that's been going on for decades, to be honest. And it's I think the difference has been how people have been reacting to it um, nowadays than how they reacted to it a decade ago uh, or decades ago. If that comment is uh, you know correct, or, you know in terms of shouldn't. The like we had a, a, a northern hemisphere ref in the All Blacks game. Shouldn't the French team be performing better in that game? Because we don't understand how the northern hemisphere referee is going to run the match or you know officiate. Shouldn't it be beneficial to the northern hemisphere team because they're playing under that referee or that style all the time? The, the, maybe this particular game we had the, the a lot of people said in the second game that the contact in the air. And coming down whilst in Super Rugby, we all said that was a red all day. In the Northern Hemisphere, they're like, nah, it's a yellow, if anything. Uh, and so there are definitely inconsistencies. And but Whereas previously, it would get flagged up as being, oh, that's a, that's a North-South thing. Nowadays, it gets flagged up as being a, let's say the world is coming to an end and uh, and, and think that the rugby's all over, it's dead, I'm not watching anymore. Uh, Phil Kearns <laughs> style, uh, which... Uh, which is just, um, it's just killing me. The, especially when the commentators, um, we see this particularly in Australia, but we've seen it from other, other commentators as well. Uh, just, just the moment there's a uh, decision that goes either against them or is slightly controversial, they just pile in on the ref and pile in on world rugby. And I've just well, had enough. I think, I think, I think um, <clears throat> it, it's more, rather than sort of, sort of focus in on the fact that they pile in on the ref, I, I think it's the, the issue with it is the misinformation um, because obviously as we're discovering more and people more and more people don't actually know the laws of rugby and you can't blame them because they're not necessarily easy to understand and that and so they're relying on the commentators to tell them what is right and what is wrong and we had a situation obviously we have it all the time with full kerns but we had a situation with justin marshall in the all blacks france game where he goes and says oh you know they need they should be doing this and the referee should be doing that and this is like well, that's not the law, so he's doing the right thing because he's following the law. You're not. You're making up your own rules as you go along. And uh, John Kerwin did the same thing this weekend uh, in the halftime show, uh, saying that that's not uh, explaining that the laws of the game say that that try or that blocking of, of the French from half, actually there's no law to prevent that from happening. Uh, yep. So it's there are some... Um, there, there are some 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 real uh, some real problems that that need to be that need to be sorted out by the commentators. Um, I think mainstream media has got a lot of blame to shoulder uh, for a lot of the outcries and a lot of the way that the, the social media things are going. Uh, and I think they could help to to to, to make, help people concentrate more on the positives than than just purely bashing the game the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Like other sports actually do. We seem to be quite unique in the fact that our commentators seem to run the sport that they commentate on down instead of just promoting the, accentuating the positive. Yep. So and, we're going to accentuate the positives and talk about some good yes. stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I thought that, um, that, that DMAC went well. The, uh, we, we also had some, uh, I mean, Rico uh, got himself a hat trick. Uh, and uh, we've, we were talking about uh, in the last hash rugby chat how Julian Severe scored uh, tries quick, uh, more frequently than Juan Alonu. 
um, and maybe Rico is the guy to to, uh, to go and bust some of these records. We'll have to see over the next few years. But yeah, he's racking them up uh, pretty quickly. Uh, the well, he's 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 up to he's back up to run a ball, isn't he? Back up to um, run a ball, is he? Yeah, sixteen Excuse from sixteen. It. He was he was falling behind a bit, but now he's back to uh, one per game, I, I believe. But you know how I get things wrong, so I All could never wrong. <laughs> the... <laughs> so, listeners, don't worry, we'll get the facts. Um, you don't have to necessarily all of you come. I'll rely on the old guy that comes on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we? Um, the thing so, that I liked you... about DMAC, um was the fact that uh, you know we talked about um, previous All Black France the one and two where the backline sort of had a sameness about it in 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 terms of the players across the field. Um, I thought what DMAC brings is that nippiness for want of a better term. I don't know how else to explain it, but what we also would expect from a um, Milner Scudder, a, a stepper uh, um, looking for those gaps and the mismatches, as you said it, as opposed to just sort of bashing your way through um, type player. Um, and, and so I thought that variety in the back line was actually quite a good good thing for the uh, for the All Blacks. No, it is good. And so um, Rico Wani, 16 appearances, 80 points. Can you do the maths? No. <laughs> That's gone past my 12 times table. <laughs> so, yeah, so you're, you're, you're quite right. 16, 16 appearances, 16 tries is where he's at. So currently, so, yes, he's run a ball. You, you, you were correct. You got two things correct tonight. Well done. I'm just going to marking it up. People on that <laughs> listening to the podcast wouldn't have been able to see him marking up another correct one. <laughs> Maybe we need to get a whiteboard. We can, uh, we can keep, keep, keep track of <laughs> when Ashwin gets stuff right. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, we're nearly so, halfway through the show. Well, supposedly, yes. obviously, we're going to overrun yet again. This is not going to be a half-hour show, folks. This might, this might go a bit longer. Uh, anything else from that game, or are we just going to chalk it up? Scott Barrett. How can we not? How can we go past without talking about Scott Barrett? And um, the first person I mentioned in the in, about in the, in the talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, right. Sorry. Did we talk about him? Did I miss it? I talked about him, but you didn't. Go on. Have sorry, I'm say. I, I was just like, um, yeah, he just seems to be stepping up. He seems to be improving. The more he plays in the black jersey, he seems to be getting better and better. Not not saying that he wasn't good before, but really starting to have a presence. Um, and, and, yeah, it's going to make it interesting when our friend Mr. Retallick comes back, you know, and then they do actually look at Scott Barrett as being a lock come six. Do you slot him in on that blind side? No, absolutely actually. not. No, <laughs> don't do that. Oh, no. The, um, so in this game, 19 tackles. He was a top tackler, one missed, uh, 10 carries for 17 metres. He didn't really get very far. How about um, horses for horses? If that, pack, well, if that Springbok pack is starting to muscle up like, you know, back back in the day sort of type Springbok packs, do you want to bring in that um, um, power for power type scenario? And you have a Sam Kane, Reed, and um, uh, Scott Barrett Sorry, on the side. Uh oh. <laughs> That's not the T, I hope. Yes. So, oh, of course, Scott Barrett. Just Jack saying Scott Barrett was great, but behind Brady Retallick, obviously he's not going to displace a Brady Retallick. But great to have him on the bench. Um, obviously, um, great cover. Um, and it's just a question of um, when, depending on the side we're playing, the type of forward pack we would put him at six. You know, mm, Liam's well, Liam Squire's there. Liam Squire's there. I don't know if he took his chances a hundred percent in that first test before getting injured. But um, I actually did he play? See, I'm old and I forget. But um, I don't know. I just sort of think you throw it out there. Here, here comes Paul. Hopefully, he's still alive. It looks like he's still alive. Yep, no, I'm still alive. Sorry about that. Uh, I'll <laughs> um, try and get through the rest of the show. <laughs> no, he had a great, great game. Uh, I guess the question isn't really whether he'll replace Brady Metallic, whether he'll replace Sam Whitelock. Uh, but yeah. I, I, that's right. He's still young. Uh, there's no rush to have him play more rugby than he needs to. Uh, and he's what, 24 years old, so he's yeah he's got plenty of time on his side. What, why? Yeah, it's great, great guy to have coming off the bench. And how do we think Sam Whitelock's performing at the moment? He's generally a player who you don't 
here talked about joining a game, is he? That's not his style of play. Uh, uh, it's, it's, all the, it's all the quiet stuff, stuff that, uh, that most of us don't really spot and don't really see what he's doing. So, yes, he did lots of stuff I didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah. Clearly he does some great stuff because they lose when they don't have him. But, uh, like, like in, like in uh, Chicago. But, yeah. Mm, true, 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 true. But I think you would, yeah, I think you'd go with, with, with Liam Squire or Fafita ahead of Scott Barrett as a six. I really don't, yeah, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to see him out, out of position like that. I, I wouldn't be comfortable with a Vi Fafita against the South Africa at the moment, tell you the truth. I, you know. You know, or or a big Ford pack that you know is basically about up the guts against an Australia absolutely any day of the week. But um, yeah, some of these teams when they're starting to put big Ford packs out there, I'm not sure about a vie for feeder against them. Mm. Mm. Well, we will have to wait and see on that one. Absolutely. So, moving slowly on because we're not doing anything swiftly. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Australia Island. Uh, 16 at 20. This one uh, was a bit of an old-style kicking duel proper test match. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's interesting because I was obviously in a, in a very, very, very tiny minority. Um, the, because I actually found it hard to get into this game. I mean, I watched the game. I watched the whole game. Um, but I found it hard to, hard to get into it. And... Um, and then I was reading all these tweets and reports afterwards. What a fantastic game it was! And I was thinking, oh, it was a, it was a good, tough battle, but wouldn't say it was a great game. I don't know. What, what was your impressions of it, Paul? Uh, my impressions of it were that I was sick and in bed by the time this game was on. Uh, anyone, <laughs> anyone, anyone who saw my uh, or, um, my, my All France post match live post match review will realise, yeah, what a state I was in. Um, so yes, fully drugged up. And in bed, uh, asleep. And I'll be honest, I've just watched highlights of this one, so I've got the key moments. Yep. But as far as an as as far as an enthralling game, not. Uh, I say it clearly wasn't part of your, it. wasn't your basketball style, lots of tries, big score game. Oh, not after watching all those French offloads, and then you go to that, <laughs> and it's just like really defence orientated. Even the Australians weren't really doing the razzle dazzle. Um, so it was just a real hard graft. I mean. I, it, you know that second half where basically both teams just had the ball on halfway and they'd lose it, and the other team would have the ball on halfway, not really making any forward momentum. The well, having said that, there was only nine turnovers to Australia and eight to to Ireland, so there weren't that many sort of turnovers per se, uh, yep. and and kicking wise as well, only sixteen kicks from Australia, ten from Ireland. Ireland really didn't kick this ball much at all. They they really wanted to play with ball in hand and just go through the but, phases. Look, we talked about this after the previous Ireland games. They really just don't seem to do anything in attack, though. Really, it's, you know, it's just, oh, there's nothing creative. They're just waiting for the forwards to go forward and maybe create a hole somewhere, but really the backs just don't seem to be creating anything. And their only try of the game came from a line-up more, to be fair. Yeah. So, they, they, the uh, five clean breaks, three more than uh, well, two more than Australia. who got three three clean breaks. So, mm. but they definitely relied on their defence. Yep. Oh, look, the, that's that's the key thing that comes out of this game, right? Is that both Australia and Ireland um, had terrific defence because they, well, it, it appears that they had terrific defence. If you're not really doing anything creative, is it hard to shut a backline down or a, or a team down? That's the question, I suppose. Um, you know, you look at that one try that Australia scored to Corabetti, and it's just like, hey, something creative, a little kick through, bit of, bit of pinball and uh, bounces into his hands and something creative. But other than that, you know, you're sort of looking, what's happening? You know, you look at Australia, you've got someone who's that great in the air. Where's a cross kick to Falau? Not a lot of that happening. No. As we say, for, yeah, for, for a team that has someone like Falau, only 16 kicks in the game is really not playing to your strengths. Yeah. I mean, when we saw yep. the Waratahs take the Rebels to, to pieces, 
it was when Foley was just putting those kicks across continuously to Falau when he was winning them all. Yep. So, and you think the combination's there because they play together at Super Rugby level, so... Yep. Yeah. So it's a bit surprising they don't use that, you, you use that more, as you say. Um, it, 14 penalties to Australia, 12 by Australia, 12 by Ireland. The, the whistle was being blown quite quite regularly. Uh, so so you were, uh, the, the, the phrase is, the, whistle, the P was blown out of the whistle. Yes, I think so. Yeah, the P was blown out of the whistle. <laughs> and let, let's... Um, so we've, we've already quickly discussed the, the, the two tries. I, the Corey try, a bit like the one we're going to talk about when we come to England as well, um, kicking along that diagonal. Uh, something that England have... Um, I saw someone actually got three clips, one of Farrell kicking it, one of Ford and one of Cipriani. So it's clearly a tactic that England use on a fairly regular basis. Uh, it looks like we might be seeing something with, something that we'll see Australia pick up as well. Oh, look, I, I don't understand why teams don't use the little kicks in behind more because, let's face it, it defence is all about rush defence now. Um, uh, it, you know, you might mix it up a bit with a, a, up and up and out, um, but it's usually still a rush up and out. Um, and therefore, you'd think that the, the kicks in behind, good good kicks in behind, are a very good option, but it doesn't seem to be happening. Um, I, I see, you know, just, just some of the comments coming through in the chat room about, Gen- yeah, Australia definitely miss Guinea. Phipps and then going to Powell is definitely a, a step uh, in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They, 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 sure, Australia weren't at full strength, and they do. In certain places, Australia have got some depth. Scrum half is not one of them, uh, as, as, we've, uh, as, as we've seen. Uh, fly half is another one that's not either. So if they lose one of their halves, they're really in trouble, our, our island. Australia. Ireland, sorry, Australia. Um, yeah. So, um, Actually, that's, that's probably Australia's biggest problem is the depth and key positions. Yep. Mm. Uh, agreed. And also their kicking as well. And in this one, actually, Foley's kicking was more accurate than, than Sexton's. But that's the, the the exception rather than the norm. He can have some 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 really poor um, some poor days. And then then the disappointing. Um, the, I'll come to one thing before we leave that game, which we I'll leave to the end. But... Cards yet? So we're going to we're going to the yellow cards. Oh, we leave no, oh sweet! Oh, I thought oh, just in case we were going to go on, but um, I just like well, we'll talk about the yellow cards, then we'll come to the uh, the, the final whistle. Okay then. Uh, so... Yeah, well, makes sense. logical, isn't it? <laughs> Not that we do anything logically. <laughs> I do try sometimes, but hey, but we don't let you. <laughs> so Stockdale leading with the with the arm, and this is something we've seen increasingly over the last few years. Well, actually, probably since the 2015 Rugby World Cup, we've seen quite a lot of people players leading with the arm. He got the height wrong, hit the neck quite clearly yellow, and maybe even red to be honest. Um, being a f- was there force? Yes. Was it towards the head neck area? Yes. Should that be red? Potentially. Yeah. Um, if it'd been any higher, it would have been red. I I don't like this leading with the arm. I think it's it's going to lead to injuries and players getting hurt. And I don't this whole bashing bashing the or pushing the uh, the defender away is illegal. You're allowed a straight arm uh, fend. You're not allowed to be pushing players away. But it's something that's coming to the game and it's something that, that referees allow now. And I think. Yeah, it's gonna. It is. It is potentially dangerous, and something that we perhaps should um, should stop. I was like, I was agreeing. I agree with you in that um, when I saw it happen live. Well, not live, but you know, when they well live, and then when they came back to it, even more so. As I thought, ooh, technically that's a red, but in the defence of Stockdale, it was more of a reflex thing that he did as opposed to an intended thing that he did like because the it was such a close play his his arm was tucked up and so obviously the the um instinctive thing was just to bring your arm up and that's how the um Al, his arm ended up or forearm ended up in the throat area in saying that it met all the criteria for a red card absolutely 100 percent, all the criteria um could he have taken care not to have done it? Absolutely. He didn't have to bring the elbow up. It was instinctive. But it was with force, and it was to the head and neck area. And, uh, yeah, so and when with, with some of the red cards that we've seen in recent times, and you sort of think, yeah, I was, yeah, I was sort of, wouldn't have been surprised if a red had been pulled out. I think we got above the neck onto the chin. It would have probably been. But, no, I think he was just, just low enough uh, to get away with yeah. it. yeah. Yeah. The, but as you say, it's some of the ta- if he'd been tackling at that height, 
<laughs> yeah. No, no wrapped arms or anything. Uh, so what's the difference? So, <laughs> apparently, because yes. you're carrying the ball, it's all all correct. No wrapping arms and just <laughs> dropping and uh, just just bashing someone off. And then we had Flau's one. So Flau, first player of the game, goes up, collects the ball, and click not, man. clean clean and clear, to clear, cleans the man out and knocks him down. And that's all okay because he gets the ball. Later on, he doesn't quite get the ball, but he's still competitive. But as he comes down, reaches down, puts his arm round the, the the torso, or his arm comes down and touches the torso of the, the Irish jumper, uh, and the Irish jumper comes down on his back, and so it's yellow. Go on, him. Uh, well, actually, I saw it, I, that second one where he got the yellow, his arm actually touches the arm of the Irishman, all the way I saw it, rather than the torso. But in saying that, I actually agreed with the yellow card because it, he has made contact other than the process of going for the ball, on the way down, he then makes that second contact with the arm of the Irishman, and therefore he's now not going for the ball, obviously, and therefore um, he's tipped them over. Um, you could say, yeah, there's a um, onus on the lifter, like um, the old beast manages to do, where he brings them back from going past the horizontal. I'm sure you've seen videos of that. <laughs> um but, you know, at the end of the day, Flau has made contact with the arm on there. And if we're asking for consistency, then that call is consistent. That's what I'm going to say. I don't, I mean, you can disagree, Christian, but the fact is that we can't go from asking for consistency and when they're being consistent, then sort of say, oh, no, I didn't like the call. Now, when I first saw all the clips on, on Twitter, uh, and I was like, that was a harsh yellow. When I actually sat down and watched the highlights and listened to the ref, uh, it was like, okay, I understand why he's given the yellow. Because as you yep. say, he, he contested for the ball absolutely fine. Once the ball had left, he then makes, makes contact, contact afterwards. Yep. And that's where it becomes um, a yellow. Uh, and so therefore, um, th therefore, I understand why it became a yellow. But as I say, having just seen, if you just see the, the, the clips on, on Twitter, I can really understand why people are upset and think it's wrong. But if you listen to the explanation, you can see why, how the referee's got there and why he's ended up with yellow. So, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with it after hearing the explanation. But I was equally hands up in the air. I just didn't tweet about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, I suppose the other person that should have got a yellow was uh, Phil Kearns. Really? Well, you Just... probably think he should have got a red, but absolutely. Fiddly dee, fiddly dee, fiddly dee, potato. I was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed that bit. That sorry. Just, no, no, I've, seen, I've seen some comments about it, but I've, I've not actually not actually heard that bit. Um, uh, Jack, please keep your comment. Please watch your language in the chat. Um, <laughs> but we, 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 we <laughs> oh, look, I mean that that is a scenario where the the TV station surely has to be looking at and saying that's not on. Um, because their commentary will be the international commentary going out as well. <laughs> Obviously, going back to Ireland will be an Irish commentary, but uh, the rest of the world, it'll be the Aussie commentators. So, yeah, so in, for, as someone says, Phil Kearns made a huge deal about, about the, the other card. That was wrong, um, and uh, that is a problem. Phil Kearns is a problem, or his commentary is a problem. Um, I don't know what he's like away from the away from the microphone, to be honest. But as a commentator, yes, he is a problem for the game the yeah so that, yeah, that, that was uh that, that christian's that, right it's like spends all night whinging about all, all you, his commentary is uh complaining about the refs and whinging about the rest that's what his commentary is based on basically uh sometimes he also complains about the opposition as well australia can't do anything now that bordering on racist comments as well absolutely is 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 is, is, is totally out of order and uh, I, have, so I have seen some comments on on Twitter, but I hadn't actually heard heard exactly what he said. So I can't commentate exactly. I can't comment exactly. But talking about potatoes and an island is a dangerous place to go. Place and, to should, go. He, and he should not have done that. Absolutely. 
well, the thing is the whole context of the scenario too. It was just like he was a a um a a, 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 a lickered up fan stand, sitting in the seat in the stand making a comment rather than the professional commentator commentating on an international rugby fixture who's being broadcast around the world. Yep. <laughs> and I think with that we've uh, we, we we've done enough. No, we've about. got one. No, we do have one more oh. talking, talking point that we have to talk about. Um, was the final whistle? Okay. Um, well, so I don't. Know, you might not have seen it in the highlights. So basically, Australia's on attack. Um, the ball is going uh, out to um, the right-hand blind side, so, blind so to speak. Um, they've got about four players on about two or oh, th- three, but they're not very exactly in position three as defensively. Uh, and the ball goes behind the the four backs. The Australians claim it was touched by the Irish player. I think it might have been Stockdale. Um, so they whistles blowing and the Australians complaining. So they go up to TMO. Now the interesting thing is that I, I think most people will agree that it was most likely touched by the Irishman and therefore intentional knock on penalty game carries on five meters out from the line. What do they do? Take a you know line out drive or whatever. But, um, the footage was inconclusive and there was absolutely TMO goes, look, the foot of it footage is inconclusive. We can't say that the definitively that the Irishman touched the ball. And then he had to tell the referee, Oh, so re- our French referee goes, Oh, so we go line out. And this is like, yes, correct. The, the ball is in touch, but the game is over. Okay. So we go line out. I repeat, the, the hooter has gone. The game is over, <laughs> or along those lines, anyway, <laughs> which was rather amusing for the end of the game. Uh, so, some communication issues, and yeah, well, no, the, when, uh, when, when it's not your first yeah. language, you're under pressure. Uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. things, it's fine. It's yeah, that's normal. <clears throat> it, was, it was just a shame. I think it would have been great if the uh, if it had been an intentional knock on. Would have been absolute great drama for that. You know, for that. Because obviously the series on the line, a try wins it for Australia would have actually led to some great drama with that. But hey, it wasn't to be. So then, over to South Africa, a proper wet game, <laughs> as we were shown by the sort of pre-match. Oh, pre-match oh, no, uh, welcome, I guess. I don't know if you call it entertainment because it's not. It's, 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 no. it's their cultural piece. It's the the, the pre-match welcome. Uh, as the as the, the guys ran out, um, obviously in barefoot in in their in, in traditional costume, and fell on their black backsides a couple of times, uh, a bit uh, uh, yeah amusing. Obviously seeing people fall over, uh, but perhaps yeah not not the best time for it. Um, so yes, from white weather game, over, but not politically correct. Well, yes. <laughs> the <laughs> and in this game, defences. Tackling was great, so which eighty-eight percent by the by the South Africans, eighty percent by England, uh, which meant that it, it turned into a um, a kicking duel, and and discipline became the big issue in this game, and South Africa basically couldn't maintain their discipline, uh, lost basically at the breakdown. They lost they lost the battle of the breakdown, uh, got pinged continuously for uh, holding on, quite often in attacking when, when they actually had the ball. Uh, rather than defensively, which which gave England the, uh, uh, the, the the territory they want, fourteen points, uh, sorry, fourteen penalties by South Africa, only six by England, which is going to give you a territorial and possession advantage. And Farrell took full advantage with the boot. Absolutely, it's just well, basically, as you said, I think the um, the the the. the 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 environmental conditions uh, obviously favoured helped out the English quite a bit, um, and they took better benefit. They they played to the conditions a lot better than the South Africans were able to. Um, obviously, ha- handling was an issue in terms of if not dry, you can't move the quickest ball as quickly, and um, it sort of uh, played into the English hands. I felt, but I could be wrong. I've been this been happened in the past. <laughs> and the kick I mean you you alluded to the kick for Johnny May in the corner you know that's the type of um, tactics that you deploy and they Cipriani put a perfect kick in and did it well everyone's saying how wonderful his kick was 
it was a jammy. Exactly. It was a lucky <laughs> kick. It was, and everyone's going, look at Farrell. He's made this perfect kick and look, Farrell's scowling at him. No, he's made a kick that, 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 that to everybody looks like it's going dead and hence <laughs> Farrell's scowling at him. And Johnny May just happened I to be that. Cool I to just look. save the day. <laughs> um, so, yes, this, uh, the, the, the title in, um, on ESPN, actually, I'll, I'll go back and get, get the actual title. Cipriani magic helps England come good against <laughs> and losing streak. <laughs> well, hey, if his magic is to somehow from a long distance stop the ball, sl just slow the ball down slightly. Uh, yes, he got lucky with that one. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, Johnny May has had a, has, has, has definitely come of age. Uh, and shown his, the, how he's matured over the last couple of years and become a, a world-class winger. He's added, uh, well, I said on Twitter that, that, that he uh, he's upped his work rate and improved his running lines. Uh, someone who watches him play clever, he said, now nah, he, he's always had that work rate. He's just applying it better. Well, maybe that's true. But yes, he's definitely turned into a, a world-class winger now. Uh, he, he's straightened his lineup. He doesn't run sideways so much. And he's covering on defence uh, as, as well is one of those things that has improved and we saw that in this game where he picked up the ball and then ran all the way across the pitch in his own in-goal area before clearing it. <laughs> and, and one of the other things is it's one of the English chariots that's actually got some wheels. Uh, he has got some, yes, he's definitely got some <laughs> wheels. <laughs> um, the only the only downside for the English at the moment is the fact that um, obviously um, not not likely to rain a lot in Japan during the Rugby World Cup. It's not, but their their winning of the breakdown was was definitely a positive from this game. Their discipline was a positive from this game, uh, and winning the kicking duel. I mean, we had thirty three kicks from South Africa to forty from England in this game. Whereas if you compare that to the Ireland game, where I think it was, was it 16 and 10, yeah, yeah. it shows this yeah, boot hit leather on this one pretty much once a minute. This or was, synthetic outside of the ball. Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and Christian says um, quite defensive game. And you're right. That's what, that, and that has been England's success uh, during that winning streak was their defensive and hassling it wasn't particularly uh, enlightening or, or great uh, um, attacking play. It was dogged defence and take advantage of of, of, other, of of the opposition areas, really. But that's that's been one of the things that um, you know the conversation in terms of we we in English England. I mean, have looked to do an expansive game, and it really doesn't hasn't worked for them. And the game has generally been about ut utilising the forward dominance. Getting forward dominance and then, and then using your backs after that. Um, so you could say it's a bit of going back to what they're actually, what they're good at. Yes, and that's, uh, Jones has been taking a lot of flack. And I think Jones is perhaps one of the few coaches in the world where he doesn't come in and have a set tactic or set, set way of playing. Uh, there are other coaches who, when, when they arrive, you go, okay, this team is going to play this way. Whereas Eddie Jones is a guy who I think, when he went to Japan, um, matured and, and got and, and understood how much culture was important in rugby. Now, maybe maybe he, he clicked that beforehand, but um, one of the things he arrived when he arrived in England was saying, "Right, I want to get back to the English culture of playing," and that was definitely not how Japan play. Uh, so, yep. here's a guy who can adapt yep. his tactics to meet to match the players or the or the, the culture uh, that he's yep. working in, which I think is 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 very good. No, Japan do run around the field like fire ants. <laughs> um, Mav74 mentioned that yeah that, that defensively Farrell really at 12 isn't the right answer uh, but England really don't have a stock of good 12s so we're, we're using a, 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 a high half in there instead sorry what's the issue with Tio? well I mean Tio looked good until he got uh, 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 at, for all the provincial games on the Lions tour as soon as he got to international level wasn't quite up to it I think that's probably the difference. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is it once? One, yeah, he's good when he can get through somebody, but if he's going to be up against Sonny Bill Williams, he's not going to get through him very often. 
I just apologise to everybody. I'm looking around because there's so much rain coming down at the moment. I'm wondering whether I should be going out and building an ark. The... <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris was asking, have we talked about Japan yet? No, we haven't talked about Japan yet. Um, so apart from the fact that Eddie Jones used to be their coach, that's the only bit we said about Japan so far. Yeah, it was Japan, yes. yes. So yeah, so England Japan. played the conditions better. Um, South Africa lost the breakdown battle uh, and then uh, and also and, and that led to them giving up much more penalties which led, led Farrell both kicking from hand and also from, from the tee uh, to take the game away from them essentially so does South Africa I mean obviously South Africa made quite a few changes for the um, for the third and final game does that also show what we discussed with like with Australia they have issues really They've, they can put out a pretty good 15 or slash 23 but Look, the depth is the question, and whether they've got the depth when they've got key players go down. I think we've also got the, the, the they just. I think the conditions were were a big thing for them. They don't play under these conditions very often. Elson Yankees is not a wet weather player. He is he, he's a guy who likes to run it. He likes he is a he much prefers the dry weather. I mean, look what a mess he was in Wellington two seasons ago. Uh, again, in lost at sea, mm. totally lost at sea. Yeah, he's not a wet weather player. We've got a few yep. examples of that at Super Rugby and international level now. Yeah, don't play him. In be, you'd, you'd probably find quite a few South Africans saying Alton Yanchis is not a player. <laughs> um, well, there is. He's a polarizing figure within South African rugby. Um, so they, so yes, yeah, so that to me it didn't help them. So they got their yeah their, their horses for courses were the wrong horses. They weren't sea mm. horses. Uh, so <laughs> the uh, so that, that that that's part of it. I think there's also an element of uh, this is not, not really an area I want to go into much discussion of, uh, but the transformation targets is that I think he's been juggling uh, the, the the ratios within his team uh, to uh, at, at times, which because uh, when one of the things that was said about the the initial centre pairing is that one well, these two are the other two guys playing who play today, and I was like, well, they're both white. Uh, and it's noticed that when they came into play, suddenly the Willie LaRue and Pollard were dropped for uh, Hillant and uh, Elson Yankees. So I think there's an element there of him trying to balance. Yep. Yeah. Of that and the politics in it. So. Good time to move on then. Good time to move on, exactly. Um, <laughs> Argentina versus uh, Scotland, the last tier one game of the round. Um, and this game basically lasted 20 minutes. I can't comment at all. I have not seen this game at all. I haven't even seen any highlights. So I'm going to leave it all to you and say, what's going wrong with Argentina? Well, at the moment, um, if they missed, uh, basically they have no cover defence in that first 20 minutes. So they would miss a tackle and it was a try. <laughs> miss another tackle, it was a try. Uh, so whilst they might make quite a few tackles, again, I've only seen highlights, I'm not actually seeing the full, the full game of this one. But the yeah, that basically that they every time they missed a tackle, Scotland scored in that first twenty minutes, uh, and hence they racked up a um, twenty-eight um, a twenty-eight-three lead uh, bef before the first quarter was even finished, uh, or, or as, as the first quarter was finished. And at that point, it was let's be honest, all over. Um, Scotland were playing some some lovely rugby, and. Uh, and, and and so and they got another try before half time. So it was three thirty six at half time. Second half, um, so that um, Argentina actually won uh, twelve eight. But let's be honest, it was all over long before then. Um, and so um, with with the coach already having resigned, we're coming off the back of two losses. Uh, there was definitely there was, there was quite a bit going wrong with. Um, there's something, yeah, something's amiss. The, the, Again, the, yeah, turnovers were, were an issue from them. 19 turnovers, 10 in this game. We saw that same similar thing against Wales as well. They just couldn't hold on to the ball. They're tackling 79%, whereas Scotland were 85%. So again, the, the, they were on, on, the, on the, the wrong side of that. Um, and they conceded um, 10 penalties to Scotland's eight. Well, not, not much of a difference there, really. Both sides had problems at the line-out, um, both losing four line-outs. So both sides were struggling on that side of things. But basically, it's those turnovers <coughs> and the tackling just mean that Scotland got to camp in 
the Argentinian half and, and score score points at uh, at will in that first in, in that first quarter, and then it was all over. It's just it's just amazing. It's strange though because I mean, like I mean, at the end of the day, they were competitive against Wales. I mean, they they did you know and the like, and then come up. You would have thought they'd be quite com- would have gone on favourites against Scotland, uh, who had lost to the Olympic champions the week before. So. Um, it's, it's, it's real head scratcher, real head scratcher. It's just like I think it comes down to the Latin temperament and all sorts of things. Coach, coach resigning. Um, you know, as you say, yeah, I think it's a bit of a mess there, and you have to wonder whether it'll affect the Huguaris and Super Rugby going forward as well for the next few rounds. Yeah, after I mean, clean breaks, seven to twenty. Um, again, no, in twenty clean breaks. Yeah, that's you've got some serious problems defensively. Yeah, and defense is all about commitment and putting your body on the line. And they just don't want to do it for this for this coach. Yeah, that's it exactly. And this is like, I mean, the um, do they really want to be there? And so probably not. So no, probably not. I mean, they also try to overplay. Um, one hundred ninety-eight passes for one hundred nineteen runs. That is a lot of passing for running. Um, <laughs> most, most usually, you're about twenty or thirty more passes. Uh, and actually, in one of some of the games, you're not having less passes than you do runs. To have eighty more passes than runs is is um, is crazy. They were trying to go wide too quickly. They're not uh, getting isolated, turning over the ball. It's um, it's all there. Yeah. Um, uh, says a... Fiji are the Olympic champions. They are at sevens. They're not at fifteens. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just. I was just looking at unbiased uh, rugby uh, comment there on the Argentinians being tired, and we did actually discuss this um, prior to the international window actually starting, is that uh, with the Huguaris basically being the Argentinian side, how much is um, that wear and tear factor going to be on either the Argentinians or the Huguaris when they come back as well? Because, you know, that step up of international rugby and putting your body on that line, that extra bit more. Yep, true. We'll have to see how that impacts them. I think they'll want to play for Mario Ledesma more. Uh, there's talk, I mean, lots of people are suggesting he should be the Argentinian coach. Look, he's only been a head coach for three months or four months. Um, this is his first ever head coaching position at the Haguaris. He's a year out from the Rugby World Cup. Is this really the best time for him to be stepping up into into the national, national coaches situation? Not really. I think he might have to, but it's... It would be much better to have him have two 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 seasons of Super Rugby under his belt, and then take over after the Rugby World Cup. Would have been a much better situation than they're in now, but unfortunately that's not going to happen. And the current coach has had problems enforced uh, on him, so they said they were going to pick European players. So the first thing first thing that happens, Sanchez goes and that's signs it. for Stade Francais. Well, okay, we've just gone and lost our best fly half, um, and. Oh dear! Everyone else seems to be about to leave the Haguaris for better money because they can still get international caps. Sorry, guys, changed our minds. We're not going to pick <clears throat> European players. Okay, correct. Um, <laughs> you need to decide what you're going to do and stick to it. Uh, if you are going to pick European players, the Haguaris are going to have are going to be hurt. If you aren't going to pick European players, then the Pumas are going to be hurt. One of them is going to suffer. You've just got to decide which one it's going to be. Uh, and live with that, and try and work the best you can within those that situation. Uh, and at the moment, they they really don't know what they do. They don't know how how to handle that. So yeah, I do have some sympathy for the for the for the uh, Argentinian coach. So that's the tier one games. Let's quickly run through the tier two matches. Um, Fiji hosted Tonga, and I must admit, I was surprised by this result. Nineteen twenty seven, Tonga won this one. Uh, by eight points, so two scores relatively comfortably. Um, I've not seen the game, um, but uh, yeah, surprised by that one. I was expecting uh, to f- Fiji to pick to win this one uh, personally. I don't know about yourself. No, I, I would have picked Fiji to easily win that one. Um, so I was rather surprised when I saw the result on that. I don't know if I couldn't. We couldn't find it wasn't on Sky, whereas the other games had been previous. So I don't know if that was any. Televised coverage of that game. Yeah, I'm getting it. I didn't see any of it either. So yeah, yeah, um, yep. No, so that was a surprise. I think. Um, yeah. What was then uh, after that? We had um, Japan versus Georgia. I, I think this was a real key game uh, for these two sides. 
two sides people have been talking about as being the best tier two side. I mean, people have been talking up Georgia, being part of a tier one competition, all this kind of stuff. And I've said a couple of times before, Georgia have never beaten a tier one side. Japan have. And they've come off the back of beating Italy as well uh, in this window. Sure, they lost the second game, but they won the first one. And then to go 28 nil um, yeah. against Georgia. This was uh, definitely a statement game uh, by the Brave Blossoms. Absolutely. Um, look, Japan have got potential, I think, and um, they're starting to show it. Um, you know, you've got to take some sort of um, confidence. You know, it's going back a while, but you beat South Africa in a World Cup. That's got you've got to take that. You've got to use that, and they the better that they are. Um, you get you, as you said, they played well against Italy. They did lose the second game. Uh, this was a benchmark game in the fact that people were talking about Georgia being uh, so good, but and and with in Japan, be, who was better? But um, now Japan basically stamped their authority on that game and sort of says, "No, no, we're we're, we're the next um, cab off the rank." And now, do you start talking about them becoming the set in the Seven Nations? No, we talk about them joining the rugby, joining the uh, <laughs> which they will do in, uh, after the Rugby World Cup in 2021. Um, yep. So that's what's going to happen. I, just some stats off this one. We were talking about how much the Haguaris were passing the gap ball. Um, compare that to Georgia: 87 passes for eight, sorry, 78 passes for 89 runs. A lot of picking going there, playing very narrow. Uh, and when you've got a side like Japan who man up and make 93% of their tackles, um, then you, you're going to struggle. I mean, 82, 82% of their tackles by Georgia um, is is definitely uh, handy. But um, but yeah, you're not you know, if you're going to play narrow like that, like Georgia did uh, against a defence like Japan that stands up, and if you don't get out, then you're going to struggle. Uh, nine turnovers by Japan, 18 by Georgia. Um, so again, they couldn't keep hold of the pill either. And that well, thing- basically, I think we've had this, like we've had discussions around the Georgian team, and they really it's it's something. The, the Ford Pack's good, you know. You've got the um, players that are in Premiership teams, etc., um, through the European competitions, um, but their backline is where they're really struggling, isn't it? Yeah, and I remember when I did um, reviewed their squad for the 2015 Rugby World Cup. Did you get a payment from one of the oligarchs? Uh, unfortunately, no. But I did do a four-hour a, a four, a four um, podcast for for, for, the, for, a, uh, um, for another, for another uh, podcast uh, that uh, I'm not sure if it ever got out. But anyway, um, we went on way too long, let's be honest. But so the Georgia, the, um, the entire, I think out of their entire pack, they had like one domestic-based player. All the rest were playing in France, effectively. Um, then, and then he looks at their backs, and nearly I think they had like one player that wasn't domestically based. And Georgia do not have a full-time professional domestic league, so <laughs> basically they're arriving with a professional pack and, an, and a semi-professional backline. Um, now things have improved, but um, you don't change a culture overnight. They enjoy their wrestling, they, and they enjoy their forward play. Uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, well, I'm just looking at the comment in the chat rooms. I mean, like in the performance of the Georgian team at the under twenties, seems to indicate they might be starting to develop some guys that might be able to play in the back line. Are they going the right way? Uh, but mm. I still think they've got a long way to go. <clears throat> yep. So yeah, so that's the. Um, and then finally, we had uh, Canada versus the United States. Uh, Canada seventeen, USA forty two. I think this was pretty much what we were all expecting uh, to happen. Because, let's be honest, uh, having beaten uh, Scotland, you uh, and, and with and also thrashing Russia, whereas uh, Canada lost to Scotland and lost to Russia, um, this was definitely going to be the kind of uh, the, the the kind of result we were expecting. Some crazy stats, though. Um, meters running four hundred twenty-six by Canada, five hundred by. <laughs> the USA, um, 426 meters running for 17 points. You've not been very. Uh, you've, you've, you've you've had some problems somewhere. What? Yeah, that doesn't. That's that's illogical, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, just that. Uh, Jack's just made a comment, you know, and I was thinking the same thing. Something's wrong with Canadian rugby. 
Yes. Now we could probably. I don't know what. Um, so um, they, they can't keep a coach for more than a year. Uh, their administration is far too much about having jollies, on, well, allegedly having uh, the, um, having jollies uh, and uh, have the prestige of having the having the role than uh, actually going, uh, than actually running the game uh, and listening to uh, 99 something other, I've gone blank. <clears throat> Sorry, someone I've followed for a long time. Uh, he and had a chat with him on on Skype about this. Yeah, the the, the administration side of Canadian rugby is a mess um, at the moment. He organises lots. Uh, his job is actually organising uh, events in bars, and he so he organises events in bars for rugby games. Uh, and he tries to do that, and he does that around uh, the sevens competition in Canada. And Canadian rugby just won't work with him. And he's like, I organise these things. I, I get people into I get people into bars to watch rugby. I generate rugby fans and you don't yep. want to work with me okay it's because i sell the people how useless you are don't i i use he uses a bit stronger language than that and obviously he's upset them uh but they need to be man enough to realize that they need people like him to grow the sport in canada and that it's not looking at uh, um at working with them well you look at places like canada and obviously we've spoken about america with the uh their, their um professional competition they have Really, for rugby to sort of succeed and grow in those areas, you're relying on personalities that are um, entrenched in the game. Well, not entrenched, but you know, have a, a really passionate about the the game to get in there and um, basically wave the flag and grow the game. You're not going to do it through committees. No, you're not. Interesting. I mean, Jack's saying, why don't they add teams to the US, the Major League Rugby competition? Uh, they are. Uh, so currently, Major League Rugby has got seven teams in it. Uh, there's talk of it being, I think it's 10 at least next season. One of those uh, rumoured is going to, uh, is rumoured to be uh, uh, Vancouver. And then also there's a team, and I'm going to get the name wrong, but I think it's Toronto Archers or something along those sort of lines, uh, who have been doing a pre-season this season. Uh, and they're doing using it as a feasibility study to see whether it's actually um, financially viable for them to produce a major league rugby team. <coughs> so... Uh, there could potentially be two teams joining Major League Rugby next season um, from Canada. So yes, it's definitely on the cards. It's going to happen soon. Uh, which and that's one of the things we said about the USA's victory over Scotland was that the fitness of the players was much better because they are the the entire squad for the first time ever was fully professional. Uh, so their fitness was better and they didn't fade, um, which they have done in the past. And Canada doesn't have that yet. So getting those teams. Sure, it, it should. It, they're not going to be immediately better overnight, or much better, but they will at least get their fitness up, and all the other bits will will improve in, in, in the, the couple of years after that. As we're going to see with the USA, the USA is is on an upward trajectory on the pitch. Off the pitch, they still need to sort out a whole bunch of issues, um, like the fact they make a big big loss and they have no money. Uh, but World Rugby is going to move in and bail them out, uh, so it's going to again. Happen, but um, again. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um, I think we've covered all the games. We're only half an hour late, sort of. <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> so, um, so tomorrow night we'll be back at the same time. Um, and don't forget, hit, hit, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe if you're new. Um, tomorrow night we're back with the Hash Rugby Chat show. Uh, we'll be talking um, about... What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about our favourite moments from the weekend. We're going to say who are the winners and losers from the um, the international week uh, in the international window we're going to super rugby is back this weekend so we'll be um giving you a reminder as to how things stand and who's going to make the finals um we um are going to talk about um argentina's losing streak leads to um, the resignation of the, the coach um is this what the pumas need a year out from the world cup so we'll talk about that in depth um and then finally we'll try and get this question in if we have time because we've been trying to get it in for the last couple of weeks isn't the whole idea of rugby to cheat, um, which I think is going to be a cracker of a discussion. I think Paul really wants to talk about that one. I do, but we keep running out of time. Yeah. Uh, I, I perhaps I should make the question one sometime rather than question five. But um, so there we go, folks. That's what we're talking about uh, tomorrow night. And then on Wednesday night, we'll have the All Blacks edition. Um, obviously, we'll look back at this week uh, of this, um, uh, the June window, which players are the winners and losers. And... Uh, 
and we'll talk about all of that kind of stuff as well. Christian, is Herman on tomorrow night? Yes, he is. Obviously, you're missing um, our friend from Thailand. Uh, he'll be on tomorrow night and also Wednesday night as well. So um, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, Arswin, uh, yeah, go on, give, give me a Twitter handle so they can hear about your politics and uh, see you having uh, high tea. <laughs> yeah, you can find me at uh, NZFatso on Twitter and I'll see you there. <laughs> see that enthusiasm <laughs> um, obviously driving more the best place for rugby opinion and predictions so hit that like button hit that subscribe button I've got a Twitter handle it's on the screen I've also got a website guess what it's drivingmall.com uh, so check out those things as well and there's also a newsletter and the top comment that's pinned has a newsletter so every Thursday I could put an email in your inbox with all the best stuff from driving mall so why don't you sign up there as well um, anything else? Um, become a patron. Give us those money. And oh, we should. Oh, it's not here. I've, I've not got my my my, my bottle pop. Oh no, um, the gimmick. Oh dear. So I have to do. Have to, we'll have to have that tomorrow night. Thank you, everybody. Um, good night. And uh, stay warm and dry. Don't let uh, the flooding uh, have a, have an arc so you can float away. All of that kind of stuff. <laughs>